It is the best-selling book in history. No volume ever written has been more loved and quoted. And its words, sometimes simple and sometimes mysterious, should always be studied carefully. It is the Bible, the Word of God. Welcome to Bible Answers Live, providing accurate and practical answers to all your Bible questions. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this broadcast, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, here's your host from Amazing Facts International, Pastor Doug Batchelor. Hello, listening friends. You want to hear an amazing fact? In the early 1800s, communications in North America were carried by foot, horse, or train across the country. Depending on the weather and road conditions, it could take weeks or months to get a message from coast to coast. But then in 1832, Samuel F.B. Morse, an accomplished American painter, while visiting France, was inspired about an idea he heard of sending messages electronically through a wire. Morse spent the next 12 years perfecting a working telegraph instrument. During the same period, he also composed a digital alphabet, better known as Morse code, a set of short and long dot and dash sounds that could represent different letters and numbers in telegraph messages. Morse eventually convinced Congress to finance a Washington to Baltimore telegraph line. On May 24, 1844, in a demonstration witnessed by the members of Congress, he inaugurated the world's first commercial telegraph. Morse relayed the message, What hath God wrought? The quote, taken from Numbers 2323, was very fitting considering how the first electronic message or email would transform the future of global communications. Just a decade after the first line opened, more than 20,000 miles of telegraph cable crisscrossed the country. The rapid communication helped provide greatly to empower American expansion. Today, over 205 billion email messages are sent each day. As in the days of Samuel Morse, the Bible is still the most often quoted book in emails. Stay with us, friends. We're going to learn more on this edition of Bible Answers Live. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, accurate and practical answers to your Bible questions. Welcome, listening friends, to Bible Answers Live, and we are so thankful you're listening. You can call in with your Bible questions. It's a free phone call. If you like an acronym, it's 800-GOD-SAYS. Call in with your Bible questions. We're not only broadcasting on land-based radio stations, satellite radio, we're broadcasting on Facebook. And if you want uh, Facebook, you can even watch and listen. And that would be the Amazing Facts fa Facebook page or the Doug Batchelor Facebook page. And send us or call in with your Bible questions. We've got some Bibles at our fingertips here. We'll do our best to search the Word and find the answers. One more time, 800 Four six three seven two nine seven with your Bible questions. My name is Doug Batchelor. My name is John Ross. Good evening, friends. And uh, as we always do, let's start the program with a word of prayer. Dear Father, we thank you that we have this time to open up your word and study the most important book that has to do with the most important subject that anyone could study, that of eternal life. And we do pray for your blessing as we search the scriptures together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Doug, you opened the program by talking about, uh, well, something that we probably take for granted, just the simplicity of picking up your phone or sending a text message or an email. 
and immediately being able to communicate with somebody around the world. And it's just, you know, people are so used to that. And of course, think of all the emails that have been sent back and forth. It seems like businesses run on email communication. And yet you mentioned that even today, when it comes to emails, the most oft-quoted book is the Bible. That was kind of interesting, surprising to me, but uh, it's true. Yeah, people are always sending verses to each other, and they're quoting from the Bible and everything from, you know, uh, God is love or whatever their their favorite verse is. Both uh, Christians and even secular people might Mm -hmm. be quoting things like turn the other cheek or go the second mile or cast the first stone. Or the handwriting's on the wall. (laughs) Exactly, by the skin of my teeth at my wit's end. There's a lot of... (laughs) There's a lot of quotes in the Bible I didn't know were biblical until I read the Bible. And, and to me, it's fascinating to me the speed of communication right now, even as we're doing this. We, you and I, we've had phone calls from Australia, mm-hmm. Africa, all over the world, live. And you just think about what Samuel Morse would have thought of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when he first developed his uh, uh, telegraph system, eventually it followed the train tracks uh, across the country. And it would connect, you know, what used to take days to get a message. Pony Express, I think, could do it in like five days from, uh, where was it, St. Louis to Sacramento, where we are. And uh, then it was almost instantaneous with the da 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 You ever heard uh, anybody do Morse code? Yes, when I was young, it was pretty popular. They used to learn Morse code for ham radio operation, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But now, you know, the Bible tells us that in the last days, one of the signs of the end is that knowledge would increase. And you can read about that in Daniel chapter 12. It says, but you, Daniel, this is verse 4, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. You know, I remember when you'd send an email message and you had a phone modem and it would it would dial and it would go, and you remember those days? And then it would connect and it was so slow, but we were thrilled. And now if you don't have fiber optic, you think it's the Stone Age. Well, you know, one of the signs of the end is the increase in knowledge and it is increasing in this generation exponentially. And the Bible prophecy said that would happen. And there are a lot more amazing secrets in the Bible that you might be surprised to learn. And we have a free offer that talks about how you could better understand this book and the prophecies of the Bible. This uh, free offer that we have is part of our Amazing Facts Study Guide series. And Pastor Doug, this has been around for a number of years, but we get people calling us and contacting us literally around the world, telling us how they've been blessed by this Bible study series. It looks at some of the most important Bible truths. And this is the first lesson in the series of these study guides. It's called, Is There Anything Left You Can Trust? It's about the Bible. I think you'll find it just, it's filled with great, interesting, fascinating facts about the Bible. How do you study the Bible? Where did the Bible come from? It's free. All you'll have to do is call our resource phone line. That's 800-835-6747 and ask for the study guide called, Is There Anything Left You Can Trust? And while you're talking to the operator on the phone, you might also mention you're interested in the free Bible study course that Amazing Facts offers, and they'll be able to sign you up. It's free. We'll be sending you the next in the series of these of these lessons, and I think you'll be blessed. So again, just ask for, is there anything left you can trust? The number is 800-835-6747. All right. We got our first caller. We got Chris listening in Florida. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you again, pastors. Good evening. Evening. I have a quick question about from Luke, Luke 7, verse 35. 
All right, uh, I can read that. Matter of fact, I probably ought to read verse 34 just to give context. Yeah. Some of the disciples of John the Baptist were saying, look, you know, John the Baptist, uh, he was fasting, he didn't drink wine. And you said he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking. You say a glutton and a wine bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now this is Jesus speaking. He said, but wisdom is justified by all of her children. Are you wondering what that means? Wisdom is justified by all of her children? Yes, yes, correct. And by the way, you also find that verse in Matthew eleven nineteen. It's almost word for word the same. Uh, Christ is just saying there that the wise people will understand these things, that uh, they're going to understand the distinction between the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. If people do not want to know because they're prejudiced against the ministry of Jesus, they're not going to understand. But people that have the Spirit of God, and one of the gifts of God's Spirit is wisdom, uh, if they're children of God, they will understand what is meant by that. I think another way of looking at that is uh, you've heard the saying, you'll know a tree, a tree by its fruit. So likewise, you'll know a teacher by his students. And um, if you looked at what the disciples did and uh, their preaching and their teaching and their lives, it was a testimony to the teachings they received from Jesus. So Jesus says, wisdom is justified by her children. You'll see the results of my teaching. Mm, that's a good point. The fruit of them will be in their lives. Mm -hmm. Thank you. But Pastor, just one more uh, quick question. The uh, Geneva Bible, you know, Reform Reformation Bible? Yes. How much different is it from uh, other Bibles? Uh, what is? Uh, I have a copy of Geneva Bible. Oh, it's a great historic Bible. It uses some older archaic English. Of course, the message is the same. It was the Bible many of the Protestants read, one of the first um, uh, English Bibles. But it can be difficult reading. I think I've got a copy, too. Matter of fact, I have, probably have a copy on my computer. But, hey, thank you very much, Chris. We appreciate your call. You know, we do have a book called The Ultimate Resource. talks about the Bible and uh, gives you more information about where the Bible came from and different translations. We'll send it to you for free if you call 800-835-6747 and just ask for the uh, book called The Ultimate Resource. Our next call is Daniel. He's listening in Michigan. Daniel, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor uh, Doug and, and Pastor John. Yeah, and your question tonight. Yes, I have a question about Isaiah chapter 24, which is supposed to show, you know, the earth is empty and desolate during the 1,000 years, um, you know, except for the devil and, and, and uh, his angels, which are left on the earth. But um, I have a few verses I'd like to read. Um, in verse uh, 6 of chapter 24, it says, The inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. And verse 7 says, All the merry-hearted sigh. In verse 9, it says, They shall not drink wine with a song. Uh, strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. And verse 10 says, Every house is uh, shut up and no one may go in. In verse 11, A cry for wine in the streets, and all joy is darkened. Uh, and verse 13 says, when it shall be thus in the midst of the land among the people. And then verse 14, they, they shall lift up their voice and sing, and they shall cry aloud from the sea. So um, I'm just kind of confused. Maybe I'm reading it wrong, or maybe I'm missing something here, but it sounds like there's still people on the earth. Yeah, you know, most of chapter 24 in Isaiah is talking about what would happen. Isaiah also foretold the destruction of Jerusalem under the Babylonians. And what you just read there is a perfect description of that. There's also a period of time 
when the earth is completely desolate. Have you read in Jeremiah chapter 4, like 23? Oh, I think I have, Jeremiah. What you're reading in Isaiah here, he's making a prophecy. Isaiah lived before the Babylonian destruction. Jeremiah lived during it. But if you look in, and I think that what happened to Jerusalem during the Babylonian destruction, they burnt the city, they burnt the temple, they burnt the walls, was an allegory of what will also happen in the last days. But if you look in Jeremiah chapter 4, 23, it says, I beheld the earth, and indeed it was without form and void, and the heavens, and they had no light. I beheld the mountains, and they trembled, and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld, and indeed there was no man, and all the birds of heaven were fled. I beheld, indeed, and the fruitful place was a wilderness, and all the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord and by his fierce anger. So that, to me, I think is a pretty clear scripture that, there's no man. Uh, Isaiah, where is the verse where Isaiah says, um, the earth is turned upside down, it's utterly emptied, and he also says that there's the, the slain of the Lord cover the earth and there's no one to bury or lament them. No one to bury or lament them. There are several verses that describe a time when the earth is basically vacated. But, you know, we have a lesson, Daniel. It's a good question. We have a lesson we'd be happy to send you that has that verse, the verses we gave you, and many others, on the subject of the millennium. Did you find one of those, Pastor Ross? Uh, There's actually several of them. Um, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 21, it says, For behold, the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover a slain. So you have these different, uh, sort of interwoven in Isaiah's prophecy concerning judgment coming upon Jerusalem by the Babylonians. There are also pictures, or at least threads, referring to a future time of judgment that occurs at the second coming of Christ. So you've got to kind of take what Isaiah says and put that together with some of the other prophecies in Jeremiah. And of course, if you're going to the New Testament, then you see how these different verses connect together. And the lesson on the millennium, we should send Daniel. Yes, it's called A Thousand Years of Peace, and we'll be happy to send this to anyone who calls and asks. The number is 800-835-6747. And ask for the study guide called A Thousand Years of Peace. An international pandemic killing thousands, riots ripping communities apart, a global economic implosion. Many are wondering, is this the end of the world? Few question the military, economic, and technological might of the United States. So if we really are facing the last days, if these worldwide catastrophes are really harbingers of the end, Shouldn't we expect the United States to play a key role in the final events of Bible prophecy? The book of Revelation provides unmistakable clues. And to help you understand them, Amazing Facts is releasing America in Bible Prophecy. It's going to take you step by step in identifying the global forces at work in these last days. You might be surprised what the Bible really says. You owe it to yourself to find out. So get yourself a copy of America in Bible Prophecy. We have Jerry listening in Oregon. Jerry, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, Pastors uh, John and Doug. Uh, Pastor Doug, before I get started, I'd like to mention you you wrote a you you have a video called Is Hell in a T- Place to Be Tor- Torment? And you told a story where you had a debate with an with a uh, radio pastor. Uh, do you want me to mention his name, now deceased? Well, if you want. Pardon me? You don't need to, but you can if you want to. What's the question about the debate? Well, you, you mentioned that you had 
a bit debate with this man, and he was a proponent of the traditional view. But I, I would like to mention I listened to him about three years before his death, and he had changed his position completely on that. He's now agreed with you. you. You're right. He had. You're right. He did change his position. My experience took place 25, 30 years ago because he's been on the radio, or he was on the radio for 40 years or more. So you're right. He did change his position. I, I got that impression. People called in and asked him why he had. But my question, I just thought you'd like to know that. But my question pertains to... 1 Corinthians 15, 25 through 28, and it concerns the Trinity. Do you want to read that, or shall I read that? I can read it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And your question on that? Well, yeah, it's certainly saying that Jesus at the end time will be under God. So how can he be co-equal with him? You can have one party submit to another party and still have equality in value. Now, I, I have always believed that there seems to be a sequence of authority given in the Bible between the Father, Son, and Spirit. So you and I probably agree that there's a distinction of roles. The Father, Jesus says, you know, God so loved the world, God the Father so loved the world, he gave the Son, so the Father's doing the giving. The Bible says God, the Father, created all things through Christ the Son. Yet the Bible says in the beginning God made the heaven and the earth. So the Son must still be God. So, do you believe that Jesus is God? I'm sorry, did you say, do I believe Jesus is God? Is that your question? Yeah. We have a very poor connection on this end. Uh, I think it's a very confusing topic. I can make points one way or the other and cite many Bible texts to support it. Well, I would agree that the Bible says God is a big subject. and In many ways, his ways are higher than our ways, but... I think it's pretty clearly revealed in the Bible when you look at some of the primary definitions of God that Jesus has the characteristics. I put you on hold just because we're getting static too. Uh, Jesus fills the definitions. The Bible says God is our Savior. It says Jesus is our Savior. The Bible says only God knows the thoughts of men's hearts. Yet Jesus knew the thoughts of men's hearts. The Bible tells us we should only worship God, but we're told we can worship Jesus. And God created all things. Bible says Jesus created all things. So when you start going through the different definitions of God, Jesus fits them all. Now, I don't know if you've read uh, the book that we have on the subject of the Trinity, but uh, we'll be happy to send you that book. It's uh, One God or Three Questions on the Trinity. And all you'll have to do is call our resource line. That's 800-835-6747. I'm looking at the book right here on my computer. It's called the Trinity. Just ask for the book on the Trinity. We'll be happy to send that out to anyone who calls and asks. Next one that we have is Connie listening in Oregon. Connie, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Doug and Pastor Ross. Um, I'm sitting here with my girlfriend, Susie, and she has a question. Hello. Hi, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. This is uh, in First Peter uh, 4, and it's 18 through 20, but Basically, in verse 19, it, uh, some clarification would be really nice because I'd like to know 
if Jesus went and preached to the spirits in the prison, are we talking about what spirits and what is the prison and why is he preaching to them? (laughs) So that's my question. All right, then this is a verse that has confused some people. Uh, well, let's start with verse 18, and this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Now, the emphasis here is the Spirit that makes alive. That's the subject of this paragraph. By whom, through the Spirit, he, Jesus, went and preached to the Spirit. Spirit, small s there, means people, in prison, those who were imprisoned by sin, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. Now let's pause right here. It's saying the Spirit preached to people who were imprisoned by sin. They were disobedient in the days of Noah. If you pause and you go to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it talks about where God says, My Spirit will not always strive with man. Yet his days, I think it's Genesis 6, yep, verse 3. Genesis 6, 3. And when we read the whole verse? It says, The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Okay, so it's talking about people that lived back in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. It's not saying that Jesus died and he went to hell somewhere and he started preaching to people who were in prison. Because the Bible says, after man dies... Uh, then there's judgment. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. We don't get to hear the gospel again after we're dead. That goes in the face of everything else in the Bible. It's describing um, what happened back. And, and by the way, you read on in that verse, he starts talking about baptism. And he's saying the whole world was baptized back in the days of Noah, that Noah and his family were saved through water, similar to how we are saved through baptism and filled with the Spirit. So the emphasis is, Christ was anointed. He was filled with the Spirit as baptism. And it was the same Spirit that brought him back to life, and that same Spirit gives us new life. Uh, I hope that helps. Does that make sense? Yes, that's very good. Thank you so much. All righty. Thanks. Appreciate your question. Next caller that we have is uh, Louis listening from San Diego. Louis, welcome to the program. Good evening, pastors. I pray for you every evening, and I appreciate this uh, show. I have a quick question, and interestingly, about the tr- Trinity or the Godhead as well. Uh-huh. Um, I do believe that the Godhead, each one, each member, is God, so that's not a question in my mind. Uh, the interesting question is, uh, I recently had a thought of praying to the Holy Spirit, saying, Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Well... I just recently had a conversation with a pastor who said, well, we should be praying to God and not the Holy Spirit, and not even to Jesus. That the example that we should be doing is uh, praying to God for the Holy Spirit, and praying to God that the Holy Spirit would fill us with uh, the presence of Christ and the Father in our hearts. So I'm kind of interested to know is that not appropriate to pray to the Holy Spirit or to Jesus and that we should only pray directly first to the Father? You know, I don't think that God faults anybody if they were to extend a prayer to the Holy Spirit. God doesn't really want us to pray to angels, but we know there are angels that are helping answer God's prayer. But nowhere in the Bible are we told to pray to our angels. 
we really go to God the Father in Christ's name, and we pray in the Spirit. There's one example I can think of where someone prayed to Jesus, and that's when Stephen was being stoned. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And the end of the Bible says, even so come, Lord Jesus. But most prayers are addressed to the Father. Uh, Pastor Ross, you may know a place in the Bible where there may be a place where someone prays to the Spirit. I can't think of any offhand. Hmm. Yeah, I don't think of a direct prayer where someone's addressing the Holy Spirit. But there's examples where you're asking for the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, of course, says, ask and you will be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. But you ask the Father in the name of Jesus. That's the pattern that we see in the Bible. I, You know, I hope that helps a little bit. Now, we do have uh, a book that talks about life in the Spirit. And we'll be happy to send you a copy of that, Louis, if you call the resource number. The number is 800-835-6747. And again, ask for the book called Life in the Spirit. I take it back. The, the book that he would especially enjoy is The Holy Spirit, The Need. Okay. The Holy Spirit, The Need is the name of the book. We might have same book. We just changed it's, the name. No, it's a, it's it's a, a new, new book. book. Yeah. Oh, okay. Again, 800-835-6747. You can ask for the new book called The Holy Spirit, The Need. We have Christian listening in Manhattan, New York. Christian, welcome to the program. Yeah, good evening. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I just have a question here that uh, in Romans fifteen twenty four and 28, Paul talks about going to Rome on his way to Spain. Is there any evidence that Paul ever made it to Spain? You know, that's a great question. Uh, Paul certainly had the desire to go to Spain. If you go to Spain, I was there last year with my wife. Um, maybe it was even this year. Time flies. Um, they believe very much he came there. There's not a lot of tangible evidence, but Paul went some places that, you know, no letters may have survived that he wrote from these places or to these places. It's entirely possible that after he was released, his first imprisonment under Nero, he was ultimately released. He indicated he wanted to go to Spain. It's not that far from Rome to take a boat across the Mediterranean to Spain. He may have gone and done some ministry there and come back again. We don't know. All we can do, and I look at the Bible commentaries, they can say he may have. It wouldn't have been a long trip because he never references it again, but we don't know. It's it's hard for us to to know that for sure. Hey, thank you very much, Christian. I hope that helps a little bit. You know, we always like to remind people at this point that there's so much more material that they can listen to on the Amazing Facts website. If you just type in I was just in a car with a friend, and he said, what's Amazing Facts? I said, type it in. He found it right away. He typed in Amazing Facts, or just type in Amazing Facts Ministry, and um, you'll see that we have videos, YouTube channels, Facebook channels, archived programs like this. We've got 20 years of programs like this. Well, Pastor Doug, let me just quickly add also that uh, we do have an app. It's the Amazing Facts That's app right. that a person can download on their phone. And you can get our videos, our I even archived or Bible Answers Live. It's all there. So you just look at it, look it up. It's uh, just amazing facts app in the App Store. Be a lot of information there. The best half of the program is about to happen. Uh, we've got some uh, brief station identification. That number is 800-463-7297. Give us a call with your questions. Stay tuned. Bible Answers Live will return shortly. The Bible tells us that salvation, of course, emanates from God. So we need to know something about God to rightly understand and embrace salvation. 
Yet in the church today, there's a great deal of confusion about the nature of God. The Bible says God is one God, but is he three persons? Is Jesus also eternal God? Because Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean there was a time when he did not exist or he was brought into existence? Is the Holy Spirit a person or is he just the force and the energy that God uses to communicate? You know, I thought this was so important, I really felt led of the Lord to write a book on the subject called Exploring the Trinity, One God or Three. In this book, we answer those very important questions. We talk about the history of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, as well as the history of the Holy Spirit in the church and how it has been much debated. This is something we really need to understand because Jesus said eternal life comes from knowing God. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Through radio, television, print, evangelistic events, and the Internet, Amazing Facts International is heeding the call of Jesus to go into all the world. Millions of individuals in over 150 countries have been blessed by the Word of God. Amazing Facts has spawned new spheres of influence in India, Africa, China, and Indonesia. With each new country come hundreds of translated booklets, study guides, and video presentations produced in each region for the people of that region. Armed with these precious truths, gospel workers are empowered to spread bright rays of light on every path they travel. Please visit reachtheworld.amazingfacts.org to learn more about Amazing Facts International and how you can participate in this exciting, soul-winning ministry. That website again is reachtheworld.amazingfacts.org. Thank you for your support. You're listening to Bible Answers Live, where every question answered provides a clearer picture of God and His plan to save you. So what are you waiting for? Get practical answers about the good book for a better life today. This broadcast is a previously recorded episode. If you'd like answers to your Bible-related questions on the air, please call us next Sunday between 7 p.m. and 8 p.m. Pacific Time. To receive any of the Bible resources mentioned in this evening's program, call 800-835-6747. Once again, that's 800-835-6747. Now, let's rejoin our hosts for more Bible Answers Live. Hello, listening friends. If you've joined us along the way, this is Bible Answers Live, and we invite you to call in with your Bible questions. You heard the number, 800-463-7297. And uh, we don't want to dilly-dally, so we're going to get back to the phones, Pastor Ross. We've got uh, Daryl listening in Phoenix, Arizona. Daryl, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Bachelor and Pastor Ross. I uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Just uh, had a question. Still, thank you. Uh, I just had a question uh, as to... Uh, graven images and whether or not a cross is a graven image? Good question. Um, You know, the Bible does not have a command against making an image. People often read that. They say, thou shalt not make an image of anything in the heaven above, the earth beneath, the water under the earth, and they stop. So you shouldn't make any image. It's a sin. And there's some churches that will come around, knock on your door two by two, and if you've got a painting on the wall of one of your kids or a flower, they say that's an image. And technically it is. Uh, The Bible says, do not make images and bow down to them and serve them. Because God told the children of Israel to actually have images of pomegranates and figs in the temple. They had angels engraved on the walls. Matter of fact, there were two images of angels on the ark. 
It wasn't the idea of making an image. They were not to make something and bow down to it. Now, if a person has a cross on a church, uh, that doesn't mean that it's idolatry. But I've been to crosses before at sacred shrines where it's a big concrete cross or whatever it is, or gold, and people go up and they burn candles and they pray before it, and that's idolatry. Do you see the distinction I'm making there? Yes, I do. If there's a cross in a building, it doesn't mean that that's an idol. Uh, it may just be a logo that explains this is a Christian church, or if you see a cross on a grave, it, typically you go through a military cemetery, and there was either a cross or a Jewish star or the Muslim symbol there on the grave, and it just identified as a logo what their religion was. That's not an, an idol. But if someone's praying before one of those things, or worshiping it, or wanting to touch it and think there's any virtue in it, uh, that it's mystical, that's idolatry. Got it. Thank you very much. Great question. Next caller that we have is uh, Harold, listening from Texas. Harold, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Doug. I just want to know the difference between a ceremonial and ritual law. Well, many of the ceremonial laws are also ritual laws. Uh, when you, you look at the laws, basically there are different laws that are outlined by Moses as he's going through Exodus and Leviticus mostly, and he sometimes mingles together the ceremonial, ritual laws, uh, the health laws, and the civil laws, and I think I'm leaving some moral law, moral law Ten Commandments, yeah. What's the difference between ritual and ceremonial? Many of them are... Some of the ceremonial laws didn't have a ritual connected with it, right? but they're still ceremonial laws. A lot of the, the laws connected with the sanctuary fell into the category of both ceremonial as well as ritual because it became sort of the fabric and the culture of Israel. So it was something that was passed on from family to family that was connected with the sanctuary or with one of the feasts that they were involved with. Yeah, some of the ceremonial laws were uh, had to do with cleanliness, but that was not technically a ritual. A ritual would be one of the feasts is what you would call a ritual. There's a kind of a minor distinction there. I don't know if that helps at all, Harold. Okay, yeah, a little bit. Okay. You know what? We do have a book we can send you that talks about does God's grace blot out the law. It talks about the ceremonial and the moral law, and uh, that might be helpful. We'll send you a free copy of that. Okay, sure. All you'll need to do is call and ask. The book is simply called Does God's Grace Blot Out the Law? And the number is 800-835-6747. And again, just ask for that book called Does God's Grace Blot Out the Law? Next caller that we have is Stanford listening from uh, New York. Stanford, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, it's my first time on the show. And I must tell you that I see you on the Internet and I know that the Word is being preached. Well, thank you so much. Yes, the Word is being preached. But my question is, I've been struggling with this, and I do want to understand. I won't take much of your time, maybe a few minutes, like three, two minutes. Um, it said in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 8, I want to know Jacob is blessing his son, but when he came to Judah, there was a special um, pronouncement upon Judah, and um, just to sum it up really quick, the part I want to understand is this, um, verse 10, it said, 49 verse 10, it said, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor Allah give from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. 
So why was there a special blessing upon Judah and not upon Zebulun or Naphtali? Yeah, good question. You know, when Jacob's blessing his sons, he goes farther in blessing Judah, which is interesting. Judah's not the firstborn. He's not the lastborn. He's not even born of Rachel, the one, the wife he loved. He's born of Leah. I think he's the fourth of Leah. But Judah is the one through whom Jesus would come. That's why it says a lawgiver. The kings were typically the lawgivers. Judah, David was from the tribe of Judah. And David had several uh, of his ancestors that ended up being kings. Whereas the other tribes of Israel, they had several different tribes that killed each other off. And you you never knew who the next king was going to be. But the sons of David stayed on the throne of Judah, the southern kingdom, for hundreds of years. Ultimately, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. So, and, and something else that's interesting, Judah was the son, uh, in our church, we're going through the book of Genesis and reading about Joseph. Judah was the son who wanted to sell Joseph as a slave, but then Judah was converted, and he is the son who later offers himself in Joseph's place. He says, take me. He becomes a sacrifice to try to redeem Benjamin and he, to uh, offer himself. Judah went through a real, uh, a real change. And it's interesting, right in the middle of the story of Joseph, it stops and starts talking about Judah and his family tree, not the other tribes, because Jesus would come through the tribe of Judah. So it's a great study. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. We appreciate your question, Stafford. Next caller that we have is Becky listening in Michigan. Becky, welcome to the program. Hello, Pastor Doug and Pastor Sean. How are you doing? Doing good. And your question tonight? I have a question in Proverbs chapter 3, 24 to 26. It says, when you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, nor of the trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and he will keep your foot from being caught. Now, what's your question on those verses? What is the the meaning of... um, I was, sometimes I do, I was marking my, uh, sometimes I mark my Bible uh-huh. and, and I just come across, I, I came across this a long time ago and sometimes I get nightmares. I have bad dreams and I get like nightmares at nighttime. I just, I know, I want to know from the Christian point of view, what is the meaning of it? Yeah. Well, there's, this is part of a promise that God is making. You'll notice earlier in the uh, chapter, he's talking about my son, Keep my commandments and follow wisdom. That's in verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than profits of silver and her grain than fine gold. So Solomon is saying that if we have biblical wisdom and if we obey God's commandments, he gives us a peace. The Bible calls it a peace that passes understanding. When Jesus is in our heart, he's called the Prince of Peace. And it can help you sleep more sweetly at night. You know, usually somebody that is uh, worried or doing something illegal, um, pretty much it's hard for them to have peace and rest. And they're worried looking over their shoulder, worrying about somebody reporting something. Their conscience is bothering Their conscience is bothering Here it says those who are right with God, they can have peace. It doesn't mean you'll never have a bad night or a bad dream, but it means there is a broader peace that uh, the followers of Christ have that the world does not have. So does that help a little, Becky? Yes, it did. Okay, and we hope you have that peace. Thank you for your call. We've got uh, Catherine listening from uh, Virginia. Catherine, welcome to the program. Thank you. 
Um, I have a question about the book of Enoch. I have a young son that's 24 that has recently read some of it and said he felt like it shed some light. We use, you know, the King James Version. Um, and he wants me, you know, to take a look at it. I told him that I would. But I'm assuming that there's a reason why it's not part of the Bible. Do you know what that is? Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about, you know, I don't know anything about the book. I know it was supposedly, you know, written by the prophet Enoch, the seventh from Adam. Yeah, the book of Enoch, uh, it's very doubtful it was written by Enoch, the actual ancestor of uh, Noah, because you'd have to think, well, that book somehow survived the flood, and Noah kept it, and Noah passed it on, and somehow it survived Abraham's wanderings. And the during the Babylonian captivity, there was somebody who wrote the book of Enoch, and it became, it's kind of like in... Among English speakers, we've got a famous Christian book called Pilgrim's Progress. You've heard of that, right? Right, I have. Yes. Great book, full of inspiration. It's not part of the Bible, but it's got some great uh, allegories in it. It's led a lot of people to the Lord. Well, during the Babylonian captivity, a devout Jew wrote a book called the Book of Enoch. And every Jew knew it wasn't written by Enoch. But there was a statement in there that I think, is it um, Jude? Jude quotes from verse, it. Yeah, verse 14. It says, now, this is Jude 1, 14. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied against these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all. So it's referring to this passage that you find in the book of, of Enoch. Now, it it is possible, Catherine, that Enoch uttered those words and they were passed down orally, just like Moses got words that were passed down orally from Adam and Eve. And uh, that the Babylonian author was incorporating that in his book. See what I'm saying? And so James, or Jude, sorry, quotes from that. So it's not anything, it's not anything, you know. I don't believe the book of Enoch should be included in the scriptures because there's some other things in there that are a little fishy. Okay, okay, all right. (laughs) If you look at how the books of the Bible were assembled, at least uh, the Old Testament, you know, they had to have a trustworthy source. And um, pretty much the Old Testament was already established by the time of Christ. In the New Testament, the criteria for having your letter included in the New Testament was you needed to be an eyewitness of Jesus, so the disciples. Um, The only exception to that would be Paul, but Jesus did meet Paul on the road to Emmaus uh, or Damascus. And then you also needed to have a track record, meaning that the authorship of the letter was agreed upon by multiple different churches or church groups. If there was somebody who wrote a book and they said, I'm inspired and this book is needs to be part of the New Testament and you couldn't verify the author, the author well, that was not included. Well, that makes, that makes perfect sense. I knew, you know, I felt like if the Lord wanted it in there, it would have been in there. But I, I basically was trying to find out if it was anything bad, you know, that you shouldn't read. That's what I was trying to find out. But you explained it. Yeah, I don't think... For some historical interest, it might be uh, interesting, uh, but I wouldn't read it, treating it any more biblically than I would uh, Pilgrim's Progress or another, you know, inspirational allegory. Right. Okay. Well, thank you. That that sheds a lot of light on it. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. Appreciate your question. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next caller that we have is Monty listening in Ohio. Monty, welcome to the program. Hello, pastors. How are you doing? Doing great. Appreciate your call. 
Uh, this is a, a little deeper question, maybe, but uh, it's on typology. You know, um, in Corinthians ten eleven, Isaiah forty six nine through ten, and Ecclesiastes one nine, we is uh, typology is clearly endorsed. And I think you would agree that the seventy weeks of Daniel nine twenty four came to an end in thirty four A D. So it was the true church leaders, uh, or the, the the leaders of the true church at that time, that demanded the death of Christ on the cross. And um, I'm wondering, uh, in light of John 16:2, when it says they will kill you thinking they do God a service, if um, you think that history will repeat itself in that fashion? Will there be apostasy in the church? Uh, yeah. Well, there's apostasy in the church now. I mean... Will, but will there be persecution from within? Uh, yeah. They, they're, uh, Do you think that the, the true leaders of are the leaders of the true church, and I'm just not going to identify that true church, obviously, but we know that it's the, those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus um, and, you know, and have the faith of Jesus. Uh, do you think that it will come to a point? Because I know that the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church, but we are the building of God, according to Corinthians three nine. So, uh, the people of God are the true church, not the organization. So, do you think that it's a distinct possibility that the true church, and you know who I'm talking about, will be the ones that persecute? Yes, I, you know I know who you're talking about. Uh, I'm. You're, we're wondering. Do I think it's possible that loyal Christians uh, in leadership? can persecute believers within their own family. It happened in the days of Jesus with the disciples when they went to the temple, and I think history can repeat itself. Uh, matter of fact, I think history has repeated itself already. Uh, many times through history, there are people who find their way into leadership, even in Jesus, among the 12 apostles. You've got uh, Judas, who is persecuting Mary. You know, who wasted all this money? So you got someone who's technically in Jesus' leadership who's not converted, who's persecuting someone else. In Abraham's own family, Hagar and Ishmael were persecuting Isaac. This uh, family-friendly fire, not-so-friendly fire, I, I think it's going to repeat itself in the last days. Of course, people that are persecuting, people that get into a church organization that may be genuine, uh, you're going to have true and false wheat and tares everywhere. And so, yeah, there'll no doubt be persecution some of our greatest adversaries in the last days will be those who once stood with us. Mm -hmm. If you enjoy hearing solid biblical answers on Bible Answers Live, you can have those same insights at your fingertips through the Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible. The updated hardcover version is available at its lowest price ever and includes the complete set of Amazing Facts 27 study guides, plus a Bible numbers and symbols chart and eight pages of colorful maps. This best-ever Bible gives you a biblical cyclopedic index, words of Christ in red, chronology of the Old Testament, along with Doug Batchelor's How to Study the Bible feature, and much more. Call us at AF Bookstore to learn more about it at 1-800-538-7275. The Amazing Facts Prophecy Study Bible stands apart from other Bibles, giving you the same solid answers you hear each week on Bible Answers Live. Order your copy today at afbookstore.com or by calling 1-800-538-7275. Next caller that we have is Linda, listening from, I think, Oklahoma. Linda, welcome to the program. Uh, good evening, Pastor. Good evening. Um, I had a question about, um, okay, I know there's only one God, one Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, why is it that, that the Catholic Church calls their priest the Father? 
Well, uh, you know, of course, they, they're using the term in a spiritual sense. Uh, I'm sure they know that it doesn't mean that the priest is the daddy of the people. Uh, Jesus does say, call no man uh, father, for you have one father in heaven. Matthew 23, verse 19. They do it, I guess, typically because the person is supposed to be like a spiritual leader, uh, a spiritual parent. You know, Paul said to Timothy, uh, you're my child in the faith. And so I think they point to these scriptures, but then just commandment of Jesus said, we probably shouldn't be calling any spiritual leader father. And so I think that's why Protestants feel safer to stick to that. As far as I know, that's the reason that our uh, Catholic friends use that terminology. Uh, when I'm talking to another, uh, I'm a pastor, but when I'm talking to another priest, I don't call him father. I call him brother, <laughs> which some priests go by the term, friars go by the term brother. Yeah. Because I know when they, you know, um, tell their sins and stuff to the to the priest, um, aren't we supposed to go straight to to God to uh, have Him forgive us of our sins instead of go through a? Yes, absolutely. You know, it's God is the one we sinned against ultimately, and He's the one who must forgive. Now, if I offend a brother or sister, I go to them and say, "Will you forgive me?" People cannot forgive our mortal sins. It's just God that can do that. And nowhere are we told to go to God through a man. We're to go to God through Christ. We can go directly before the throne through Jesus, uh, our mediator. There is one mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. That's uh, not biblical to do that. Thank you, Linda. Next caller that we have is Dwight listening from, I think it's Alabama. Dwight, welcome to the program. Yes, thank you. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. Uh, my question is... Um, I've heard that in 1888, that was Righteous by Faith, that Jones and Wagner, um, that Christ could have came then, but I'm thinking about the wound had not been healed yet and other prophecies. Yeah, for our folks who might be wondering, uh, 1888, who's Jones and Wagner? Well, it's interesting if you look at some of the Protestant churches that grew out of the early 1800s that culminated in what we call the Millerite Movement in 1844. Um, there were a series of, of messages or truths that came to the world. Um, some of the different individuals that God used to bring that message of truth, uh, as you mentioned, Jones and Wagner. Uh, of course, we need to test everybody's teaching by the Word of God. That is our ultimate test of all things. And then, of course, we do have prophecies, as you mentioned, in the Bible, which uh, both Revelation and Daniel speak of needing to be fulfilled. For example, Jesus said in this gospel of the kingdom, shall be preached to all the world as a witness unto all nations, then the end will come. Uh, some people did not fully understand these prophecies, or at least recognize their importance as it fits into end-time events. And so, um, yeah, folks have a different views or different perspectives on when Jesus will come. Yeah, there there were some beliefs that, you know, Christ says in Matthew twenty four fourteen, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, then the end will come. And if people had embraced righteousness by faith, the way it was preached during this great revival in the 1880s, uh, some have speculated that Jesus could have come because uh, the gospel would have gone to the world. With power, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we're still waiting because the gospel has a long way to go in some countries. Who's next, Pastor Ross? We've got a couple more questions we can do. We've got Gene listening from uh, Wisconsin. Gene, welcome to the program. Hey, good evening, Pastors. How are you doing tonight? Great. I have a, I have probably a real simplistic, speculative question here. Why do you, why do you believe that 
that God works in the in the in a dimension that's not visible, as well as the angels and of course the demons that are on the planet Earth. Why do you believe that He does not allow us to see perhaps the angels uh, working, or why can't we see that realm? You know, that's a good question, and I'm glad you're asking. It's not that simplistic. In the beginning, I believe man could see there's a whole nother realm. Man had whatever spiritual equipment he needed to be tuned into the frequency of the spiritual realm. After sin, something physically, something spiritually happened to man. God could not, man could not see God in his glory, and he couldn't see the angels unless they did something special to appear. You know, we went along for over 5,000 years not knowing about television waves or radio waves or cosmic rays. We know now that there's all, all kinds of things happening in and around us because we've just gained knowledge. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to realize that there is a perfectly scientific reason why uh, people could not see the spiritual realm in our sinful condition. Uh, we didn't have the equipment. You know, now... We're surrounded by devices that are picking up invisible messages. <laughs> and you think about how much more we're going to know in a thousand years. You know, once we thought that in our, the whole universe was just the sun and the moon. And now we know there's the whole solar system with planets and a whole galaxy. And our Milky Way galaxy is one galaxy of 200 billion suns. And it goes on and on from there. I heard a, a TED talk this week that they think there are other universes uh, that ours is just one universe filled with, and that it just goes on and on. So there's so much we don't know, and I think that's why. You know, just to add to that, if, let's just say, angels did appear, and, and there are cases you read about in the Bible, and even some testimony of people even today where they feel as though an angel did appear to them and bring them a message. But even if our eyes were open and we could see the unseen, the angels, both good and bad, I don't think it'll make that much of a difference in convicting someone of their need for a savior. I'll give you an example. When Jesus was on the earth, he performed some incredible miracles, and yet it still didn't convince the religious leaders um, to turn to Christ. Even the resurrecting of Lazarus from the dead, they still refused. So if there was some miracle that God could perform to get everyone's attention, he'd probably do that, but would it result in people genuinely being converted? Probably not. It has to be the moving of the Holy Spirit, and it needs to be faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Absolutely. I don't know if that helps at all, Gene. Yep, yep you did. You act, actually, you, uh, you answered it fairly fairly quickly and and, uh, and very thoroughly. So I appreciate that, Pastors. Uh, you two have a great evening. All right. Thanks so much for your call. What do you think, Pastor Ross? Can we do one quick question? And uh... Yes, let's try. We've got Donna in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We have about a minute, Donna. Well, m my question is very simple. Um I've always wondered what it means by give marriage and giving in marriage. Of course, I know what marriage is, but giving in marriage, what does that mean? You know, Pastor Ross and I perform several weddings, and sometimes just at the beginning of the actual ceremony, the bride walks in and she stands next to her father, in some cases her mother, and you say, who gives this woman to this man? Because, and as an ancient tradition, it used to be, families were saying we support this union and the parents basically and the, the bride would kiss her father after that and basically he's saying you know I've been your protector and now your husband is your protector and th that's where that terminology kind of comes from it's a beautiful but it's sort of ancient uh, custom 
parents used to arrange all these marriages like Abraham did for Isaac. It's like, who gives this man to this woman? Who gives this woman to this man? So oh, forth. Okay, okay. It just never made sense to me. And, and I thought, you know, marriage and giving in marriage, I figured they were the same thing. Marriage and arrangement of marriages when they say someone was given in marriage. Okay, well, thank you. You answered my question. I can go to sleep now. You sleep peacefully. Thank you, Donna. They tell us everywhere we go, we help people fall asleep. (laughs) Hey, listening friends, go to our website, amazingfacts.org. We'll talk next week. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast. We hope you understand your Bible even better than before. Bible Answers Live is produced by Amazing Facts International, a faith-based ministry located in Granite Bay, California. Does your heart burn for a better purpose? Do you yearn to do more with your faith? Do you desire to be a powerful witness, a blaze for Jesus Christ? Where do you start? Make your first step at AFCO, the Amazing Facts Center of Evangelism. Here at AFCO, I've learned so many things and my spiritual growth has just skyrocketed. AFCO has distilled 50 years of Amazing Facts evangelistic expertise into a dynamic, professional, and educational experience that transforms the nervous Christian into a prepared and bold witness. AFCO is really about learning while doing. It's a -a one-of-a-kind experience for those who are serious about entering gospel ministry and those who simply want to make an impact in their local churches and communities. Go to AFCO.org today and explore this life-changing program. AFCO, equipping soul winners, setting the world ablaze for God. Can't get enough Amazing Facts Bible study? You don't have to wait until next week to enjoy more truth-filled programming. Visit the Amazing Facts Media Library at AFTV.org. At AFTV.org, you can enjoy video and audio presentations as well as printed material all free of charge, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, right from your computer or mobile device. Visit AFTV.org. For life-changing Christian resources, visit AFBookstore.com. Did you know Amazing Facts has a free Bible school that you can do from the comfort of your own home? It includes 27 beautifully illustrated study lessons to aid in your study of God's Word. Sign up today for this free Bible study course by calling 1-844-215-7000. That's 1-844-215-7000. If you'd like to enhance your study of God's Word, visit our website at www.amazingfacts.org and sign up for our free Bible study course. And make sure to check out our online bookstore at afbookstore.com, which offers thousands of inspiring books, DVDs, and more to help you get the most out of God's Word. To take advantage of the offers you've heard on this broadcast, call us at 800-835-6747 or visit our website at amazingfacts.org.